Last week, I went out to do some Christmas shopping over at the Valley River Mall, and as you might expect, the parking lot was very crowded. It wasn't easy to find a parking space, and I was heading down one of the rows, and there was an open space, and the guy ahead of me was preparing to pull into it when suddenly somebody else jetted in and cut him off and took the space. And those two guys got out of their cars and slammed the doors and started loudly calling each other names. Well, then I walked into the store, and one of the first things I encountered was a lady at the top of her lungs berating the store manager because the gift that she wanted to buy for her grandchildren was out of stock. And then while I was wandering through the mall, I bumped into a friend, and we stopped to chat, and he asked me to pray for him. And he said, he said man, I just, I just don't look forward to Christmas Day. I said, why is that? He said, because my extended family comes to visit, and... We don't all get along. And inevitably, sometime around the dinner table, somebody picks a fight and starts an argument. And so my friend, who's a wonderful Christian man, does not look forward to Christmas Day. For him, it's a time of tension and conflict. And as I later reflected on all of those experiences, here's what's ran through my head. Here's what ran through my head. I think, I think as human beings, we all want to live in peace. I think we desire to live in peace. And I know that we need to live in peace. And yet, so often, peace is very, very elusive. And the reality is that we all, at times, experience anger and strife and anxiety, and stress. And that's not what God wants for us. And that's one of the reasons that our loving God gave us Christmas. The very first Christmas was a declaration of change, profound change, because it was a declaration of peace. In a world full of very broken people, People who often are filled with hate. People who engage in war and ethnic strife and religious division. In a world where human beings find it easy to compete and fight and argue, Jesus was coming to create a way for men and women to experience true peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. And what's amazing is that this gift of peace is ours. It's ours for the asking. It's ours when we learn to live by faith. And the problem of conflict in our world is very real, but the simple reality is this. The more we learn to trust Jesus and the more we learn to follow Jesus and are willing to follow him, then the more we will experience God's great gift of peace. In some ways, we need peace with God and each other more than anything. And Because God looked down at his very broken world, a world where people engaged in sinful conflict, he saw that humanity desperately needed peace, and so he announced 
long before Jesus came, he announced in advance that a time of peace was coming. 700 years before the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus was predicted in the Bible. And not just his birth, but the peace he would offer to the world. We heard this passage read earlier, but let's take a closer look. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, isn't that interesting? Isaiah is prophesying about the future, but here he introduces it in the present tense. It's a way to emphasize that this is not some mythical hope. This is real. This is going to happen. A child is born. A son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and key words for us this morning, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah is telling us here is that God is going to send a Messiah, a messenger, someone to represent God personally, and he will come as a little baby, and then he'll become a man with some incredible titles. And these are not ordinary titles, they're titles of royalty and deity. Each one tells us something distinctive about the nature and the character and the future ministry of Jesus. And these titles explain who Jesus is, and they give us insights about his ability to establish peace. And so Isaiah says this, Jesus who is to come will be a wonderful counselor. And obviously that signifies the wise and godly counsel we can receive from Jesus as we pray and read the scriptures and as we sit and listen to the small still voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also will be mighty God. The Son of God comes in power to do battle against the forces of evil. And we later see this throughout the ministry of Jesus as he frees people from spiritual oppression and forgives them of their sins. Jesus is a spiritual conqueror, defeating evil and establishing truth because the Son of God is God. He is mighty God. And then one of the most intriguing titles, Isaiah says Jesus will be called Everlasting Father. Now that's a rather unusual title for the Son. And we know from other scriptures that the Son is not the Father. Those are distinct persons. But the Son is the same as the Father. And in fact, Jesus tells us in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father because there, there is a unique oneness between Jesus and the Father. And these three titles together tell us that Jesus embodies the full essence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three persons and expressions of God are present in Jesus. And so when we see Jesus, we see all of God. that's who Isaiah says is coming. And yet, the prophecy's not yet done because there's one more title. Prince of Peace. 
this son who is to come will bring peace to people's minds and hearts and souls. He will bring peace to relationships. He even can bring peace to nations. All that is truly possible, but only if people will submit to his leadership. There can be no true lasting peace apart from a connection with the Son of God because he will be the one and only true Prince of Peace. And, and I want us to see that these titles don't stand alone. There's a powerful connection between these, these different titles and, and what they reveal about the character of Christ is profound. And, and what we learn is this, that the, the reason that Jesus and only Jesus can bring peace into our lives and into this world is because he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is exactly like the everlasting father. Because of who Jesus is. He has the authority and the ability and the power to be our Prince of Peace. And therefore Jesus can bring into our lives and into our culture the peace that we all so desperately need. The peace that this broken world so desperately needs. And what, in fact, does God's peace look like? Well, his peace is not simply the absence of war. His peace does not come from getting our favorite politician elected. His peace doesn't come from having a fat bank account or a new car or a cushy retirement fund. God's peace is about contentment and fulfillment and the ability to be at rest in the presence of God. God's peace heals our minds, our hearts, and our souls. His peace heals our interactions with each other. That is what the God of heaven and earth wants for every person. And so to give people the hope of peace. God prompted Isaiah to write about it and speak about it as we just saw long before Jesus arrived. And then on the night Jesus was born, God's peace was announced to the world. Let's take a look at some verses from Luke. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. On the night that Jesus is born, the night of the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus is announced 
to some shepherds. We heard that in the full passage that was read. And last week we explored the story of the shepherds and the incredible joy they experienced when they went to the manger and personally got to see the baby Jesus. What we want to do now is to focus in on this angelic message and understand the promise of God's peace which they proclaim. Now when we read the full passage, we see that the initial announcement to the shepherds is made by a heavenly being called an angel of the Lord. Now, an angel of the Lord is not your typical run-of-the-mill everyday angel. There actually are different kinds of angels in scripture. There's angels and archangels, and there's, then there's an angel of the Lord. And this is a a distinctive spiritual messenger and whenever one of them shows up in scripture, it's with an extremely important announcement from God. And on this night, when this angel of the Lord speaks, we see Jesus described once again by a set of distinct and majestic titles. They're not the same titles we read about in Isaiah, but they seem to echo and reinforce the titles which Isaiah announced many years before. And so from this angel of the Lord, we learn that this newborn baby is the Savior, he is the Christ, he is the Lord. He's coming as God's messenger with power and authority to save people from their sins. Which means he wants to rescue all of us from behavior we engage in that's harmful to ourselves and harmful to others and falls short of what God expects of the people made in his image. He wants to rescue us from the kind of behavior that that results in a lack of personal and relational peace. We need to be rescued by God because we're sinners and this baby who is the Lord of the universe is going to save us from ourselves so we can be at peace now that's the announcement from this single angel And then to reinforce the significance of this very historical heavenly birth announcement, God sends a heavenly chorus to shout the news from the skies and a whole host of angels appears, which means there are probably hundreds and maybe even thousands of angels filling the sky. Well, can you imagine what that looked like? And those angels tell us that because Jesus has arrived in the world, God's peace has arrived in the world. However, there's an interesting qualifier. According to verse 10, the arrival of God's Son, who is the Prince of Peace, that that arrival is good news for everyone. And yet, the angels go on to say that only some people will experience the peace Jesus offers. And who is it that gets to live in peace? Well, according to verse 14, it's the people with whom God is pleased. 
And so that leads to a natural question. What does it take for God to be pleased with us? And the answer is really simple and really profound. God is pleased with us when we're in a right relationship with him, but we can't earn that status because it's impossible for us on our own to live up to God's standards and overcome our sin nature. No matter how hard we might try, no, how, no matter how much we might try to, try to white knuckle it on our own, we still will be sinful people. And Jesus made that abundantly clear through his life and his teaching. And yet, God loves us. He doesn't abandon us. And it's precisely because we can't rescue ourselves on our own that Jesus demonstrated his love by going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sinful condition. And therefore, if we want God to be pleased with us, we don't, we don't get there by compiling a checklist of good behavior. What we need to do is let the sacrifice of Jesus become real in our lives. I, I know some people who sort of intellectually acknowledge that Jesus died on a cross, but that, that doesn't cut it. See, by faith, we need to respond to God and what Jesus did on the cross. And we need to come to God and simply say, God, I have messed up. And I just ask, would you forgive me for being a sinner? And would you draw me into your embrace? And then we take a step of faith and we submit to baptism to demonstrate to God that we're serious about making a fresh start with him. And when we do that, oh, then God lavishly pours out his peace on us. And we can experience that peace at the moment we take our very first step of faith and we can continue to experience that peace every day as we live by faith. And it's a peace that affects our minds and our hearts and our souls. It's a peace that impacts our relationships. And God's peace becomes real as we learn to trust Jesus and follow Jesus more and more and more. Now this proclamation from the angels, that took place some 2,000 years ago. Yet that message for humanity is timeless. And I'm so grateful for that because I need God's peace in my life. And I know you do as well. And yet as meaningful as this is for us today, it's really important to understand how God is working in human history and to understand that God's message of peace has a particular relevance at the moment when he instituted the very first Christmas. And that's because Jesus is born into a world that is ruled by Rome and its emperor, Caesar Augustus. And it very well may be true that Augustus was the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. And I find it really interesting that that's the time that God chose to show up in person. Hmm, think about that. 
a human exerting incredible power and God showing up to display his power. And oh, Augustus used his power and he used it often ruthlessly and he established his version of peace. And he called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. He might have studied that in school. And like so many rulers and politicians, Augustus was egotistical. And so he framed this peace from Rome as his own personal gift to the empire. He built an altar in Rome with his own image. And he called that idol the altar of peace. And he even called himself the prince of peace. Interesting. Augustus was trying to compete with God. And God showed up and said, nope. (laughs) You cannot compete with me. Because that title, the Prince of Peace, cannot belong to any human being. Only Jesus, God in human form, is the Prince of Peace as we learn from the prophet Isaiah. And so this this proclamation of peace given by the angels recorded here in the book of Luke, it's not just a nice sounding phrase to put on our Christmas cards. The angels make this announcement so the world will know that peace is not a personal gift from Caesar Augustus. And we need to be reminded that in our day, peace is not a gift that originates in Washington, D.C., or Salem, Oregon, or in any other seat of government. The gift of peace originated in a humble manger in the city of Bethlehem. And we can experience God's peace today as we choose to follow Jesus. And because God's peace comes from Jesus, and because Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave, then this angelic announcement really is good news for all people of every generation. You see, because Jesus is alive, then his peace continually is available. Otherwise, when he he died, if he'd stayed in the grave, his peace would have died with him. Nobody talks about the Pax Romana today, do they? It died out because it was created by people. Not God's gift of peace. His peace is always available and it is freely available today for you, for me. For people who are like us, and people who aren't at all like us. God's peace is available to the people that we love, and it's available to the people we find hard to love. And you see, because of the peace God brings, when we trust him, we actually can learn to love people that humanly on our own we could not love, And we can live in peace with people that on our own we could not humanly live in peace with. And that is only possible because the character of Christmas is peace. And when we yield to God, then the author of Christmas 
Oh, he comes into our lives and he transforms our character. And then it truly does become possible to live in peace with everyone. And so in this evolving story of Christmas, we find that peace was predicted. Then peace was announced. But the story's not over. There's more to come. Because there's a second part to Isaiah's prophecy. And this part has not yet been fulfilled because Isaiah prophesied about a future peace that would last forever. Let's take a look. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government, he's talking about the baby who is to come, right? The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. It's an endless peace. And he'll sit on the throne of David and he's going to rule over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So on the night that Jesus is born, this part of Isaiah's prophecy is not yet complete. It's not yet fulfilled. Only the first part that we read earlier has been fulfilled because what Isaiah is doing here is pointing beyond human history to eternity. And this means that for each and every generation of believers, there still awaits a season of perfect peace. And this is the peace that will occur when the kingdom of God is fully and firmly established forever. And God's kingdom will be a place of perfect peace because it will be a kingdom that operates with perfect justice. Oh, doesn't that sound refreshing? (laughs) Isn't it something awesome to look forward to? And yet, guess what? We don't have to wait for God's kingdom because the interesting thing is that Scripture tells us God's kingdom is both now and not yet. And we see this when Jesus begins to preach. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, here are the first recorded words of Jesus' ministry. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, when Jesus arrived, his kingdom arrived. He didn't come only to bring peace to individual people. He also came to begin the process of building his kingdom of peace. And as followers of Jesus, we have the privilege of helping to build and establish that kingdom of peace right here and right now. And guess what? We can do it every day. And we do do it every day. We do it in those moments when we choose to trust God more than we trust ourselves. We do it in those moments when we let go of our anger and selfishness and the need to win arguments. We do it in those moments when we are ambassadors for God's peace and we make it a priority to be reconciled to others. When we do those things, we are helping to build God's kingdom one day at a time. And I find it pretty exciting and incredibly humbling that we get to partner with the God of heaven and earth 
in that holy endeavor. And yet, having said that, we're not perfect. <laughs> we live in an imperfect world. And let's be honest, there are going to be times when God is inviting us to make peace, he's nudging us to make peace, and we're going to stubbornly resist because we let our pride or selfishness get in the way. And there will be times when God's inviting us to make peace and we're responding and we're striving and yet the other person won't want to make peace because they'll stubbornly resist God. And it means that we'll never perfectly experience peace in this life. And that's why God gave us the second part of Isaiah's prophecy. He wants us to live with hope, the hope of eternal peace that awaits and it will come to pass. We can have confidence that it will happen. The first part of Isaiah's prophecy came true on the night Jesus was born, and God gave us the very first Christmas, so we can have total confidence that the second part of Isaiah's prophecy also will come true someday. And this means you and I can look forward to a time when God creates a new heaven and a new earth and brings about his eternal kingdom and then all of God's children. Everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, all of us will enjoy peace forever. So Christmas reminds us that Jesus and only Jesus is the one who makes this kind of peace possible because he comes to us as the Prince of Peace. And when we trust our prince, then we get to embrace and experience and celebrate the great gift of God's peace. And then the character of Christmas, which is the character of Christ, will continually shape our lives. In light of these Bible passages we've explored, here are two questions I think God wants us to consider. Number one, are you experiencing peace with God? Number two, are you experiencing peace with others? If you are, then I encourage you not to take it for granted, but to rejoice and to say, thank you, God, for the gift of your peace that's at work in my life. But if you're not at peace, either with God or with others, then here's what I think God may be inviting you to do. Pray. Pray and ask God this question. Lord, what one thing can I do differently so that your peace becomes a reality in my soul and in my relationships? Lord, what one thing can I do differently so that your peace becomes a reality in my soul and in my relationships? Pray and ask God that question and then see what he brings to your mind. Then be willing to act whatever he prompts you to do. And then as you step out in faith and do 
what God has asked you to do. Then you'll begin to carry with you the peace of Christmas, the peace of Christ, each and every day. And when you are living and walking in peace, oh, you will be richly, richly blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for reminding us that the character of Christmas truly is shaped by peace. Your peace. And yet, Father, we have to confess that at times we find it hard to live in peace because so often we let our pride and stubbornness and selfishness get in the way. And Lord, as we've seen this message of peace and how it reverberates through the scriptures, may we embrace that. May we trust you more each day in the big things and the little things of life so that we truly can live in peace. May we, Father, be at peace with you. May we be at peace at others. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but through the wisdom of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.